You are listening to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Osman. Hey guys, so in today's episode, I'm going to try something a little bit different. Instead of doing an interview or a or upload a, a khutbah recording, I'm going to try somewhat of a long-form type of episode, something that might normally have been a long-form article, but see how it works in a podcast format. So if you're listening, any feedback that you can give me, what you like, what you don't like, if this type of style works, if you want to hear more of this type of, excuse me, content, please reach out and let me know. So today we're going to dive into this idea of the abundance and scarcity mindset. And I want to start by sharing a story that the Prophet ﷺ narrated that everyone's familiar with, everyone's heard, but the lessons I want to take out from it are going to be a little bit different probably than what you're accustomed to. So he told us the famous story of three men in the time of Bani Israel that were tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And an angel came to them. One was a blind man, one was a leper, and one was, as the hadith says, a bald man. And I'm going to continue saying bald man because that's what the the text says. But my understanding, as someone explained to me, was it wasn't just that the person was bald. It's that they had a disease a manifestation of which was hair loss. So it was much more than just being bald. In any case, the angel comes to these men one by one. And so he goes to this man first that is a leper. And he says, what thing do you like most? Or what do you wish for the most? And he says, good color and good skin, because people are repulsed when they see me. And so the angel touched him and his illness was cured and he was given beautiful skin. Then the angel asked him, what type of property do you like best? And he said, camels. And so he was given a pregnant she-camel, and the angel said to him, may Allah bless you in it. Similarly, he then went to the bald-headed man, or the man with this illness, and he said, what do you wish for the most, or what do you like the most? And he said, I want good hair, I wish to be cured of this disease, and for people to not feel repulsed by me. And so he touched him, his illness was cured, he asked him what type of property he likes best. He said cow, so he gave him a pregnant cow and he said, may Allah bless you in it. He then went to the blind man and the same thing and the man said, I wish that Allah would restore my sight back to me so that I can see people. And so he touched his eyes, his sight was restored and he asked him what type of property do you like best? He said sheep, so he was given a pregnant sheep and then the angel went on his way. Now as time passes, these animals, they obviously they multiply and they give birth and they eventually, these three men, they each have like a valley full of property, of animals, of wealth. And so the angel, then he comes back. Now, this is the, the part that's the test. He first approaches the leper, taking the form of a poor leper, just like that man used to be. And he comes up to him and he says that I'm a poor man. I've lost all means of livelihood while on a journey. No one can satisfy my need except for Allah and then you. So in the name of him who has given you such nice skin and so much property, I ask you to give me a camel so that I may reach my destination. And the man replied, I have too many obligations. I can't give you anything. The angel said, you know, I think I know you. Weren't you a leper that people were disgusted by, that people were repulsed by? And weren't you poor and then Allah blessed you with all of this wealth? And he replied, no, that's all wrong. I was given this property from, from an inheritance from my forefathers. And the angel said that if you're telling a lie, then may Allah return you to the way that you are. He went to the bald man and the same thing happened. He said that I'm poor, I'm on a journey, can you, can you please help me? And he said that I have 
nothing to give to you. I have nothing to give back to you. And so the angel makes the same dua that if you're lying, then may Allah make you the way that you were. And then he goes to the blind man and the same thing, except now the blind man says, yes, indeed. I was blind and Allah gave me, gave me my sight. I was poor and Allah gave me all of this wealth. So take whatever you wish from my, from my property. Whatever you need, take it as completely yours. And the angel replied, keep your property. Allah has tested you and he is pleased with you and angry with your two companions. Now, normally we learn from this lessons of generosity, lessons of gratitude. But the thing that I want to dive into is what is the thought process? Like what is the psychology of the person that has experienced being poor? They've experienced life in that way. And then when they're given wealth and they're in a position to help somebody else, they say, no, this is all mine. I earned it. I got it through my hard work. Why should I reach out and why should I help you? And it's, you know, it's very simple to say, okay, well, this is just because they're arrogant, they're egotistical. And that's a little bit simplistic. And I think there's a little bit more to it. And there's an eye of the Quran that I think elucidates the mentality with which these two men that that turned the angel down, that failed this test, were thinking. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, الشَّيْطَانُ يَعِدُكُمُ الْفَقْرَ وَيَأْمُرُكُمْ بِالْفَحْشَةِ وَاللَّهُ يَعِدُكُمْ مَغْفِرَةً مِّنْهُ وَفَضْلًا وَاللَّهُ وَاسِعٌ عَلِيمٌ That shaitan threatens you with poverty and orders you to immorality while Allah promises you forgiveness from him and bounty and Allah is all-encompassing and knowing. And so one reflection that I had on from this ayah is that this lays out a mindset or it lays out two mindsets. One is the mindset that shaitan encourages you to, and one mindset is the mindset of looking at what Allah has promised you. And so when it's the mindset of what shaitan is tricking us with, and I titled this episode, How Shaitan Tricks Us with a Scarcity Mentality, because this idea of the fear of loss or the fear of poverty and the way that it dominates our decision-making is something that we see in multiple facets of life. And looking at it from this lens of a mindset is extremely important because a mindset is the paradigm by which you see things. So when information comes to you, when when you experience different things, there's a way in which we filter the things that we see, the things that we hear, the things that we learn. It goes through a particular paradigm that we have. And so the mindset is this mental model. It's this roadmap that we use to navigate the things around us, how we interpret them, how we react to them. And so until we realize what mindset we're interpreting things with, it's very difficult to hone in on why we, we, why we might be looking at things a certain way. And we look, and, and to put it in simplistic terms, we come across people that we might say are always negative or always a down, right? Because their mindset, the way that they process things is through that lens. And so this lens of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity, how does it manifest itself? What does it look like when shaitan is threatening us with poverty? Now, if you've sat through a bunch of fundraising dinners, you know the obvious answer, which is sadaqah. That there are so many ahadith, there are so many ayat of Quran that encourage giving and donating. And we all know that the more we donate, the more that we get back, the more that we give, the more that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us. And yet, it's difficult, right? As we know, the Prophet ﷺ said that when you go to 
you know, reach and to give that the shaitan starts tugging that money back. And you start calculating all the things that you're going to law that you're going to lose. And so when it comes to money, we have this this fear that if I give, if I donate, if I spend in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what am I going to lose? We might sit, we might feel, you know, we might sit through something, we feel inspired, like I'm gonna donate a thousand dollars. And as we go to reach for our credit card and we're filling out the pledge form or you know, filling in our information online, we suddenly start doing calculations. Oh wait, but I have this bill coming up. I have that expense coming up. I have this issue to deal with. And so that inspiration of a thousand gets whittled down and whittled down and whittled down because we're afraid of what we're going to lose. And it's not just with with donating, but it's even with you you think about how people sometimes even earn their money. Like what would cause someone to go and seek an unlawful income? And a lot of it comes down to that mindset of, well, if I don't earn money in this way, I'm going to be impoverished. I'm going to be poor. And this this mindset of this fear, the fear of loss, the fear of poverty, it manifests itself in like everywhere. I remember when I was in college, I was taking a night class and there was like four or five Muslim students in the class. And there was a point in time where, you know, Maghrib would come in during class. And so we're trying to figure out like, hey, can we pray? Where should we go pray? And so a couple of us would would leave class, go find a spot to pray outside the building or the stairwell or whatever. And, you know, obviously like just quickly pray your Fard Maghrib and then go back to class. There's a couple of other students who wouldn't join and then eventually conversation ensues. And let me break down the rationale. Someone that's saying like, I can't miss class to go pray. The thought process that they're using goes something like this. If I miss class and go pray, then I might miss something that'll be important on the exam. And if I miss something important that's gonna be on the exam, I'm going to get a bad grade. If I get a bad grade, I'm going to get a low GPA. If I get a low GPA, I'm not going to be able to get a good job when I graduate college. It's going to mess up my prospects of grad school or internships or this or that. And if those things get messed up and I don't get the job that I'm supposed to get or the career that I'm supposed to get, I'm going to start my career off on a bad foot. And if I start my career off on a bad foot, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, I am going to be impoverished. I am not going to be living up to my potential. I will not be actualizing the things that I was supposed to actualize in this life. And so therefore, today, I cannot take five minutes out to go make Salah during class. It's, and it's a rationalization that takes place in maybe a split second in someone's head when they say no. And this is an extreme reach barrier, you could say. It's always forecasting out what is the worst possible outcome that could happen? And I use that to then justify my action. And it's important to recognize that this is literally that trick of shaitan, threatening you with the poverty of the consequences of that decision. It's the same reason why parents push their kids into medical school, law school, whatever. Because ultimately, what they are trying to do is guarantee that you will never face poverty in your adult life. And so if you become a physician, if you go to law school, it's a way of quote unquote guaranteeing that you won't ever deal with that type of a lifestyle, with that type of a loss. And so it's looking at it from that mindset in the way that 
shaitan makes us fear. And so that fear dominates the way that we make decisions. It creates like a zero-sum mentality. I remember one, you know, this is kind of a funny story. So I was at work and one of my coworkers came up to me and his his son want, his son wanted to go to Hif school. And so he's asking me, he's like, hey, you know, my kid wants to do Hif of Quran. What do you recommend? And I'm like, you know, I'm sure it's a great idea. Your kid's like nine, 10 years old, whatever. You know, I'm like, what's your concern? Because usually you don't need to convince someone to do hifs. Like if they want to do hifs, you just go facilitate it. Uh, and I sense I'm like, so you know, like, what, what are you worried about? And he goes, well, I'm worried that he's going to do bad in school. And I'm like, why would he do bad in school? He's like, and, the, and this is literally the words that he used. He goes, I think of his mind like a hard drive. And so if he fills it with Quran, how is he going to learn all of the other stuff that he needs to be successful? And I was like, wait right here one second. And I went and got another coworker of mine who was uh, a professional, worked in the accounting department at this company, has, you know, obviously a good role, alhamdulillah, all those things. And he was Hafiz of Quran. And I'm like, talk to this guy to see what he says. But but it's amazing how 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 people think about it in that way. That instead of the Quran instead of memorizing Quran being a blessing which expands your mind and increases your intellectual capacity, all of a sudden it became if you learn this, it will automatically displace the other things that you can learn. And so this this fear of being impoverished then applies to knowledge. It applies to what we learn. And I, I've seen this so often in the Muslim community when parents, even though they are practicing or even though they're religious, actively discouraging their kids from taking Islamic classes or from learning about Islam or going to seminars or anything like that because they're afraid that if their kids start getting interested in those quote-unquote religious topics, that it will somehow distract from their regular studies that they need in order to be successful. And this is extremely common. The other place where it impacts our knowledge is not just with parents and kids, but we sometimes do it without realizing it. When it comes to things like speaking up at work and this becomes a major anxiety point for a lot of people that you know sometimes i'm afraid to speak up in meetings i'm afraid to share my ideas and so it becomes a situation of like i'm afraid to share my ideas because it might be a bad one and i'll feel embarrassed some people come at it from an angle of saying like you know i don't like to speak up at work or i don't like to share my ideas at work because even if i have a good idea someone is going to steal it and take credit and so I'd rather not speak up. And so this starts to hold us back because we're operating from this mindset of scarcity that I only have, it's almost as if I only have this one idea. And if I give it up, that's it. I've lost. Whereas with an abundance mindset, we would be looking at it and saying like, okay, if someone steals my idea, big whoop, I, you know, I should have confidence that I can generate a hundred other good ideas. I shouldn't be hesitant to worry about speaking up because, hey, everyone comes up with embarrassing ideas, but sometimes embarrassing ideas lead to good ideas. And so it's a completely different way of framing how we look at it. But it's, you know, when you when you look at scarcity, especially in a corporate environment, there's so many things that come to mind. I remember having a coworker, and there's a little bit of an interesting backstory here. So I was working at a hospital and I had a boss and my boss left to go to another hospital. 
And when he went, he recruited me. He's like, hey, come work for me at this new place. So I was like, okay, sure. And so I go to the new place and I start working. And what I did not know was that the role that he gave me was a role that was taken away from someone else that was there. So essentially this person, uh, I don't think it was an official demotion, but they, in their eyes, they saw it as a demotion. And so here I am, this you know, fresh out of college. This was probably, I, actually, this was my first quote unquote professional job out of college. And so here comes this, you know, like 22 year old kid. And he just took this job that I've had for like the last 10 years. And so it created this very interesting dynamic. And so there was a lot of, a lot of things that were, I would need access to certain things. Or I needed to know where certain things were. And she was the only one that had the answers. And so anytime I would go ask, it became a situation of becoming territorial, trying to preserve job security, trying to prove, hey, I'm the one that has the keys to the castle. I'm not going to share it with you because that's what makes me valuable and that's what makes me important. I'm not going to share the things that you need to be able to do your job well. And so that becomes a very difficult working situation. Now, the funny thing is, is that, well, it's not funny, but the thing is that this person, because they had that mentality, it wasn't just the way that she interacted with me. It was something that affected her relationship with, with everyone else. And one thing that manifests itself with this scarcity mindset is when you have a scarcity mindset, you, you always operate in this win-lose paradigm. That in order for me to win, somebody else has to lose. And if somebody else loses, then that's my win. And so she got into this mode of trying to pick out mistakes that other people made. And in one situation, and this was a hospital pharmacy, a pharmacy technician had gone out on the floor and they had left some narcotic medications out on a medicine, in a medicine cabinet, not locked up, which is a big no-no. And so when she was doing her rounds, she noticed that, hey, someone left the narcotics out here. So she grabbed them, took them back, went into the system to see who was the last person to go out to that floor. And now here's the catch. She took those narcotics, went into the break room, put them into her personal locker, printed out that sheet that showed who went there, and then went to the manager about to do a victory lap, saying, hey, guess what I found? I just busted this person, leaving narcotic medications unlocked. And the manager goes, oh, okay. So where are the, med where are the meds? Did you put, you know, and she goes, oh, I've got them. Come with me. And she, she's so happy and so excited at this that she takes the manager to the break room, opens up the locker, takes them out of her locker and hands it to him. And she says, I was keeping them safe so I could give it to you. And he just looked at her and he goes, pack your stuff. I'm calling security because it was a major violation of the hospital protocol to keep a narcotic medication in your personal storage. In any case, that... Less, long story short, less moral of the story, that type of mindset never lets you win. It always keeps you back. And so we see this with massages. We see it with communities where people who are serving can't take criticism. Any comment that's made about how things are done, they feel that it is harming their reputation, right? That they're, they're going to lose some type of standing or some type of face in the community. With even the way that masjids make decisions, right? It's the same theme throughout this fear of loss. 
I remember working with one musha trying to hire an imam and they almost literally said, we don't want to hire this person that has a lot of potential because what if they get really good and well-known and then they leave? Then we're going to be stuck again without somebody. So we'd just rather not get them. And I was like, what if you get someone that's young and has potential and you develop them and then they got to do something amazing and they always remember that you're the community that built them up. And then other young people with potential will see that and want to come to your community as well because now you have a reputation for being able to produce and develop people like that. But they don't see it in that way because the mindset that they have is not one of looking at the promise of the bounty from Allah. It is a mindset of looking at the fear of poverty that shaitan is threatening them with. Think about if a masjid opens up near another masjid. What is the first thought that goes through people's heads? Oh, they're going to steal our fundraising dollars. If another masjid opens up near us, we're, are, we are literally going to lose money because now people are going to donate there. They're not going to donate to us. And so it's a very small-minded way of seeing the world. And yet, even as I mentioned, I'm sure you can think of so many other examples of how that mentality plays out. Think about, think about relationships. Think about relationships. How many things do teenagers do? And then their parents say things to them like, oh, if you do this, no one's going to marry you. If you get this degree, no one's going to marry you. If you put your hijab on, no one's going to marry you, right? Like these types of comments, I'm just speaking for maybe dissy parents, but we hear these types of things. And this is why you get this concept or this idea of even like disowning people. That, oh, my child did this, so I disown them, right? This very like dramatic PTV drama type of thing because all that they're assessing the situation with is not the relationship with that person, but it's a scarcity mindset of their standing with their friends. That my reputation is such a fixed piece of pie that if my reputation suffers even a little bit, if, it's, if something happens is even a little bit embarrassing, I don't know how I'm ever going to recover from this loss. And so because of that mindset, it impacts the way that we deal with one another. One thing that happens in weddings, and, and I'll speak to this in, in terms of cross-cultural weddings, right? Or interracial marriages. What happens, what becomes a point of contention sometimes is how is the bride going to dress, right? Like which culture's clothes is she going to wear at this function and that function? What is the groom going to wear at this function and that function? And it... And it can become something that can cause a lot of fights. And so it becomes this thing like where one person might be saying like, oh, well, if I give in to my future daughter-in-law, or I give in to my future mother-in-law, or I give in to my future son-in-law, or father-in-law, or whatever, like if I give in to this future relative, I'm setting a precedent that they can boss me around, that they can take advantage of me that I'm just going to do whatever they say. And so we fear losing this type of standing with someone. And so the scarcity mindset starts to force us to be transactional, even in our relationships. Whereas with an abundance mindset, and again, we, we know how much our religion emphasizes mercy and generosity. Well, what if I have a mindset of, if I do what my future relative wants, Maybe it's not a signal that I'm a pushover and that they can control me, but maybe they will see it as a generous gesture 
and it's something that will actually strengthen our relationship moving forward. It's the same situation, right? It's just two different ways of looking at it depending on the mindset that you have. And one of the most powerful examples in the Quran, one of the most powerful examples in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَكُتُلُوا أَوْلَادَكُمْ خَشْيَةَ إِمْلَاقٌ نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُهُمْ وَإِيَّاكُمْ And do not kill your children out of fear of poverty. We provide for them and we provide for you. See, the scarcity mentality, when you let shaitan dictate the way that you think about things, the way that you filter things, it forces you to act in a certain way. And Allah is reminding us that this sustenance is not in your control. The provision is not in your control. What you have is not in your control in that way. But rather it is Allah that provides. And anyone that has had a child has experienced this. That one way or another, no matter how difficult things may be for you personally, that one way or another, the child is provided for, the baby is provided for, the baby is fed and changed and sleeping soundly. But it's a reminder that Allah is the one that provides for the baby just as He provides for you. And so it's a reminder that when we start to see ourselves operating out of a scarcity mindset, it's actually a sign that our iman is weakened, that our faith and our tawakkul, our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been weakened. And so we're not, although we may intellectually acknowledge, yes, Allah is the one that sustains, Allah is the one that provides. In those moments, our heart is not recognizing that reality. And so we have to train ourselves about how to look at those things. And, you know, one, one this is maybe an, an, an innocuous example, but have you ever heard someone when they make dua for something, something trivial, something small, and it's like the dua is immediately answered. Like, oh Allah, let the light stay green, right? And suddenly they get through, light was green, and then they say, oh man, I should have made the offer something else, right? It's, it's a tongue-in-cheek comment, but if you think about it, it speaks to a deep-seated belief in that scarcity mindset. We know Allah is the most generous. We know Allah answers du'as without any restriction, without any limit. And so for us to think, Oh, he answered this one. I should have asked for something else is absolutely incorrect, even though it's a tongue in cheek statement. But we have to force ourselves to change that mindset that I make to offer the trivial thing. And I also make to offer maybe the quote unquote more important thing. And I have full yakin, full trust that Allah will answer both. One thing that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam uh, made dua or that he taught us to make dua he said allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hamni wal-hazan wal-ajasi wal-kasal wal-jubni wal-bukhl wal-dada'idaini wa-ghalabati rijal oh allah i seek your refuge from anxiety and sorrow and weakness and laziness and cowardice and miserliness bukhl and from the burden of debts and being overpowered by men i want to talk briefly about this word bukhl about this miserly miserliness and it's to be stingy and greedy. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes people with this word in the Quran as people who have wealth to give, but they hoard it for themselves and don't give it in charity. It is to refuse giving something lawful even when you have it in abundance. It's preferring yourself out of greediness. 
And the opposite of it, the opposite of bukhul is karam, is generosity. Is giving in ample amounts and being generous. And this is why one of Allah's names is Al-Kareem. He is the most generous. And so when we make dua, when we think about these things, when we deal with situations, it's a reminder not just that Allah sustains, not just that Allah controls, but that Allah is Al-Kareem. Allah is the one that is the most generous. And so these artificial limits that I place on myself is something that is coming from shaitan. It's the way of just threatening me with what I'm going to lose. On the other hand, we have this abundance mindset. So how do we think about this abundance mentality or a the, the bounty that Allah promised? Or maybe to put it another way, a barakah mentality. A mentality of the blessing put into things by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One way of thinking about it is this idea of always... Well, let me give you an example. Uh, you know, uh, Ramit Sethi gives this example a lot in his website, in his, in his talks. He says, this question gets posed. Should I take a regular class and make an A? Or should I take an honors class and make a B? And what's funny is I was doing a seminar and I posed this question to the audience. And I started calling on people random, like, okay, what's your answer? And, you know, the, the room was split. Some people picked take the regular class and make an A. Some people said take the honors class and make a B. And everyone had their own justification as to why they thought one route was better than the other. That, you know, taking the regular class and making the A, your overall GPA will be better. Your grades are better. You'll get into a better school. Some people said the honors class is better because even though your grade is lower, you'll still learn more. Maybe you'll get a better education. You'll be around, quote unquote, smarter kids. But not a single person said, take the honors class and make an A, right? That's the abundance mindset. Why are you artificially limiting yourself? We tend to think of deen and dunya in the same way that it's like this, you know, magical pizza that's cut in half and, you know, it has these trade-offs that if I, you know, suddenly if I go pray Isha at the masjid, then I've suddenly had a decrease in my dunya because I gave some time to deen or something like that. But we know in the Quran, Allah says, That, oh Allah, we ask you for the best of this life and the best of the hereafter. And we ask you to protect us from the fire. And so this mindset of abundance, this mindset of the bounty that Allah promised. One really amazing example is when the Muslims migrated to Medina, they actually had difficulty drinking the water and they went and complained to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They're like, look, we're used to drinking Zamzam. The water here it's is different. We're not used to it. We don't like it. And so he told him, he said, okay, there's another this other well that has uh, in a city named Rumah that has water which tastes close to Zamzam. So go there. So they went and the owner of the well was insisting, who was not Muslim, was insisting on charging. So even like a handful of, of water he would charge them for it. And so Uthman radiallahu, and actually, oh, actually the Prophet وسلم, actually offered him paradise for the well. And he said, no, I want money. I just want cold, hard cash. So Uthman found out that the reward of the well would be paradise. Because if that's what the Prophet's offering, then that's what this well is worth. So he went to the man. He tried to secure it. And the man wouldn't sell it to him. So Uthman came up, you know, being a good businessman, he came up with an arrangement where he would essentially lease or rent the well from him on specified days. 
and the the original owner would keep it on the other days. And so the days that Uthman was leasing it, he just gave the water away for free. And so what ended up happening is no one was coming on the days that the other man owned it, so he wasn't making any money. So eventually he then sold the well to Uthman Now the interesting thing is that afterward, another companion came and tried to purchase the well. And he offered him double what he paid, triple what he paid, five times, eight times, ten times. And Uthman wouldn't budge. And the companion got frustrated. He said, who's going to make you a better offer? And he said, my Lord multiplies this beyond anything that you can offer. Right? His heart was attached to the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we see, you know, any study of the seerah, we see how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam manifested this abundance mentality and how he went against this mentality of fear-dominated decision-making, right, of this scarcity mindset. We think about the famous incident of Ta'if, where he, excuse me, could have taken revenge uh, because of the people, of how they abused him. And he said, no, because from their offspring may come people that are Muslim, right? Focused in on the larger goal. He made dua for Abu Jahl or Umar to become Muslim when they were both not. And Umar became Muslim. Think about a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset is eliminate the enemies. And here he is making dua that one of their two staunchest enemies would join them and strengthen them. We see so many times where he وسلم, emphasizes that whoever gives up something for the sake of Allah, Allah will replace it with something better. We're told so often that if you help others, Allah will help you. If you forgive others, Allah will forgive you. And this is actually a core concept of, of leadership, which is the faith and confidence that you have in others. And it's believing in people sometimes more than they believe in themselves. And the Prophet saw the good in every single person. And that's what we see from his example in dealing with all different types of people. You know, there's, there's, there's this concept uh, or the saying that says a rising tide lifts all ships. And it's, it's the exact opposite of the example I mentioned earlier where if two mushrooms open up close by or they're worried about fundraising money. Right? I remember attending a seminar one time and the, and the person teaching the seminar had recently written a book. And one of his friends had written a book on the same subject. And they were both due to be released around, I think, within a month of each other. And he was telling us how they blurbed or they, you know, wrote like an intro to each other's books. And someone asked, like, you know, why would you do that? Aren't your books competing? Because you're both writing about the same subject. You know, aren't, this is literally your competition. Don't you want to sell more books than the other person? And he said, look, there's more than enough to go around. And the people that buy my book are the same people that will buy his book and vice versa. So it's not that people are buying one or the other that we're in this staunch competition. But actually, the more people there are that are interested in this subject, the better that both of us will do. The better that both of us will do. And so that's having that mindset of, again, reliance in that bounty that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised. And I'll give you, give you a scenario. And this is something that happens quite often. If you think about if a friend comes up to you and they're looking for a job and they find a job listing at 
the company that you work for, maybe it's a level up. You've had your eye on this role and you're thinking that this is your path to getting promoted. But your friend is maybe jobless at the moment or in a job and not very happy. And they ask you to put in a good word or they ask you to pass along their resume. What do you do? And, you know, we know the quote unquote correct answer. Well, of course, you should help that person out. But a lot of people out of that scarcity mindset, they'll say yes, but then they won't do it. They'll sit on the resume. They won't submit it. And then they'll tell the other person like, oh, yeah, I didn't hear anything back. And what ends up happening they don't they themselves don't get the job either right they both end up losing because of that mindset whereas a better thing to do would just be hey i have to have my eye on that position do some years let's both apply see who gets it see if it's you know see if it works out for somebody but it's the the mindset by which you approach it will dictate the actions that you have and a very important way to anchor yourself in that mindset is having a focus on akhirah because without an akhirah focus it is very difficult to anchor yourself in that faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so it's having long-term thinking that I'm accountable for the things that I do it's having this idea or this the the trust that the things that I don't have only Allah can give me if you think about the things that cause people to act out of scarcity, money, power, fame, all these different types of things, the scarcity mindset comes from seeking out things that they don't have. And so they feel that they have to, quote unquote, trample over other people to get them, or they have to win at the expense of others. But the abundance mindset is knowing that whatever I get, it's a gift from Allah. And one and the more akhir focused someone is, the easier it becomes to act in that way. A very good example, if we talk about this idea of recognition, the Prophet ﷺ told us, he said that when Allah loves his slave, he calls out to Jibreel, to Jibreel and says, I love so-and-so, so love him. And then Jibreel loves him. And then after that, Jibreel announces it to the inhabitants of the heavens that Allah loves this so-and-so person, so love him. And the inhabitants of the heavens and the angels love him, and then that makes the people on the earth love him. And so when a person has that certainty of faith that this is how things work, all of a sudden what everybody else is doing doesn't matter. Because what I get is controlled purely by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of the things that Allah promises, you know, when, is that when we do things for the right reasons, he puts barakah in it, he puts blessing in it. And I'll give you an example. This, is, this was in a paper I came across, and this is not a you know, Muslim company or anything like that, but this is actually like a completely secular example of a Canadian multinational company that after the Kyoto Protocol, they signed on, and the CEO of this company was getting kind of scared. Like, okay, uh, how are we going to make these changes that there's other people that didn't sign on? You know what do we do do we do we sign on and make all these wholesale changes at a huge cost or do we find a way to just persist the way that we are and they applied a quote-unquote abundance mindset and went all out in their decision making and said that we're going to take the right stand we're going to you know do what we need to do to follow the kyoto protocol to go against climate change and what ended up happening 
was that their their stakeholders, right, their employees, their customers, were actually so happy and invigorated by the stand that it actually increased the value of the company. And it increased the appeal of the company to investors just because of that goodwill and that energy that was generated. And so if someone is looking at it purely from that short-term financial gain, it would have made complete sense to stick to the way that things were and not make any changes. But it takes a quote-unquote leap of faith to make a decision out of that abundance mentality. One thing that the Prophet ﷺ told us, he said, or he, he relates in Hadith Qudsi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that, O oh my servants, even if the first of you and the last of you and the of the whole human race and all of the jinn all stand in one plane and ask me everything that you want, and I gave everyone that their what their heart desired, it would not cause any decrease to my kingdom. It would it'd be even less than if you were to dip a needle in the ocean and take it out. How much would that diminish the ocean? would be more than what my kingdom would be diminished if I gave everyone in the human race and the jinn everything that they wanted. And so the abundance mindset reminds us of that. Who it is that we need to ask, who it is that we need to please, and who it is that we seek our results from. And the Prophet ﷺ told us, he said, the strong believer is better and more beloved to Allah than the weak believer, although both are good. He said, strive for that which will benefit you, Seek the help of Allah and do not feel helpless. If anything befalls you, do not say, if only I had done such and such. Rather say, that Allah has decreed whatever he wills, he does. Because if you, if you say this word, if, you open that door to shaitan. Right? That regret that, oh, if I had only done this, I wouldn't have lost out. He's teaching us to quickly move on from those losses. Move on and seek the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one, one primary way of seeking that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in That the more that you have shukr of Allah, the more that you have gratitude of Allah, the more that He blesses you. And so it's again, is teaching us the framing is teaching us the lens and the mindset. How do you think about things? Do you think about the things that you've lost? Do you look at things that you have and think about what you might lose? Rather, we're being taught what you've lost in the past, move on from it quickly, right? It was decreed for you, it happened, now move on quickly. And the things that you have, be grateful. Because when you are grateful and when you thank Allah for what you have, He will increase you in your blessings. And finally, the last example that I want to give that, again, illustrates this dichotomy between the way that shaitan threatens us with fear and Allah promises us, promises us bounty. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, and we all know this ayah, قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَكْنَتُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Say, O oh my servants who have transgressed against themselves, do not despair of the mercy of Allah. The despair and hopelessness comes from shaitan. Indeed, Allah forgives all sins. Indeed, it is he who is the forgiving and the merciful. So he promises us 
that bounty. So these are some of my thoughts on the abundance and scarcity mindset. I hope, inshallah, that you enjoyed this episode, benefited from this episode. If you've made it this far, please, if you could do anything for me, it would be send me a message. Let me know what you thought about the episode. If you want me to do more of these types of episodes in the future. And as always, if you please share it with a friend, encourage your friends to subscribe. That goes a long way. Rate and review in iTunes, all that good stuff. And check out the show notes for any other details, links, subscription information, all of that. See you in the next episode.